Welcome to BBRO's December Beecast. I'm Francesca Broom, your host and Knowledge Exchange Manager for BBRO. With winter upon us, most of us will be taking stock of the past few months and planning the next. So it's a great time to review the state of your soil and give some thought to your soil health management. This month's Beatcast is part one of a soil health special where Simon and myself will join Holcomb Farm Manager James Beamish discussing their use of cover crops and planning for long-term soil health improvements. So we've picked the right day to come over to uh, North Norfolk and we're at Holcomb Farming today with James Beamish, who's the farm manager. Um, Beautiful day, nice to come out in the field and see what you're doing here. We're in the middle of a, of a lovely cover crop, James. So thank you very much for inviting us over. Um, just tell me a little bit about your role here at Holcomb. So yeah, I'm farm manager for the all the in-hand farming on the estate. So we farm about 3,500 hectares as Holcomb Farming Company. A diverse rotation, we, we grow a lot of malting barley, both winter and spring. Wheat, orsid rape, sugar beet, maize. We have an anaerobic digester on the estate as well. And then salad potatoes. So I've been here now six years. And it's a business the the family has been farming here for 400 years. And we're looking at farming systems so we can, can carry on farming this, this land for another 400 years. So yeah, And just, just standing in the field here, you can see the diverse nature of the farm because I've got sheep to one side and we've got various fields of where we had wheat in the front, malting barley. Yeah. We've been supplying Adnams with a, a proportion of their malting barley needs now for about six years. We are the, um, you know, we're the champagne region for growing malting barley. Are. <laughs> we've, we've got the right soil type, you know, literally a mile to my left over there is the sea. So we've, we've got the maritime climate. Year on year, we can generally produce the best quality malting barley across the country. So, yeah, it's a, it is a diverse, I say, livestock. You just mentioned the sheep. We've got a large cattle herd as well. So what we're looking at, you know, is a, an integrated, diverse farm systems all of our p and k nutrients we now get from either the anaerobic digester digestate the farmyard manure plenty of limex coming back from the the sugar beet factory yeah so we we really see going forward that the integration we're turning the clock back 250 years but is integrating livestock back into a diverse farming system again yeah and we're here today to talk about your soil management program and obviously the cover crops cover crop we're standing in here is following winter barley so hence there's not very much radish we tend not to put radish in the very early cover crops that we we plant because they do tend to then run through the growth stages coming to flower and we have very long sort of lignin heavy stalks which we can um, run into problems with so we've got phacelia in here we've got um, bursting clover we've got hairy vetch there should be some linseed in here as well so a multi-species i must be when we started with cover crops we used to go 100 percent radish across the board and Radish is, uh, there's none in here, but the radish is really still the backbone. Probably the, yeah, there's one there, look. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what we did actually put in here, because we've got the sheep, we put some actually proper fodder radish in for the sheep. Yeah. What we are looking for, and if we dig into here, is like an architecture of different root structures under, underneath. Looks fantastic on top of the ground, but what I'm really interested in is what these cover crops are doing under the ground. So we know the radish will be quite deep rooting. Radish does scavenge a lot of nutrients, so that sort of residual nitrogen that it does then carry that residual nitrogen off into the next crop. You get the 
the vetches and the um, the clovers will fix a bit of nitrogen in the autumn. You know, we're standing here in mid-November at the moment in shirt sleeves, still the sun shining, so they're probably still doing a little bit and fixing a bit of a bit of nitrogen. You then get the facilias and you get the linseeds come in with probably some um, more fibrous roots near the surface, which are doing a little bit of soil structuring as well. So in the soil here looks fantastic, where you're actually digging those out. So go on, you you dig me dig me a little soil pit there and tell me what you're looking at James so as the um the key indicator of soil health is how many earthworms we can find of which um <laughs> ironically <laughs> spadeful at all there it's just that spadeful obviously <laughs> but I mean look at the, the quality of that soil it's really crumbly it's lovely isn't it so yes it is and this is this is a whole rotational's work there he is there he is we've, there we are we've got Arthur that's Holcomb's earthworm yeah. we've, um, we've, we've got there <laughs> He's, well, a, he's a busy, busy earthworm. All two, right? <laughs> and then, yeah, just looking at, you know, I get fascinated by roots. This is a piece of phacelia there. Look, and just look at those roots branching off in every direction. We're basically, you know, we're trying to catch carbon. We're, we're trying to pump energy back into that soil. One thing which we're only just on the journey, but is what microbial and wildlife is under there. And I've got a spade full of soil there. There's a lot of um, words touted about that there's more living organisms in that spade full of soil than there is human beings on the planet. So my real interest is, you know, start to understand what are are we doing the right thing for biology? Are these cover crop species here? Are they promoting the right sort of biology under the soil? To me, that's the key. No different to us as humans. If we're in the right environment, if we've got the right nutrition, you know, statistically less chance of us becoming ill or being unhealthy. So if I can create the environment to plant a seed in and that seed is in a healthy environment we should in theory use less inputs so that crop should grow away quicker and ultimately yield and return more i mean you're quite lucky where you are here because i mean holcomb's got a good history of good land management previous but actually when you dig down there's not too much of a depth of soil there is there? no we're you know we're i would say we're quite challenging soils we're all over clay and you know in places are the clay cap is coming out through the top of the soil so we're on a soil type that really responds well to this cover cropping and we only see a benefit coming from cover cropping on this soil but we are still going to have limiting factors on you know on moisture during the spring because we are that lighter soil type we're that shallow soil but you know there's a lot of talk at the moment about organic content of soil and organic matter and yeah how we can um how we can measure that but we certainly see a visible difference on our sugar beet since we've been cover cropping for the last six to eight years that we go into a drought period our sugar beet seems though they are standing just that little bit longer before they will so there's some resilience being put back into the soils with the cover crop mixes we're using i think it's a really interesting point you made about the biology and here's a food for thought maybe in 10 years time we're so used to doing a soil analysis and we look at our soils and we know pk we might be actually looking at our biological analysis lab dna of what absolutely microbes there yeah how many diversity is probably just as important as how many and we'll understand what it means in terms what of the good and performance what of the crop yeah and we'll be now managing that and it's quite an interesting thought we might be actually analyzing our soils yeah. in that context it's going to take a few years but this kind of work is is key and then you know once we can analyze it and measure it then how can we influence that mm. so i mean this is fantastic soil where we are at the moment so how many years have you been using the cover crop on here for the estate do you know so this would yeah this would have been last 10 years that have been cover crops grown you know within the rotations around the estate so we're on a six to eight year rotation it would have probably had three spring crops in that decade again they're probably
probably been three to four applications of organic manure, so it's mm-hmm. not just the cover crops. It's, um, you know, it's, it's a, just to mention it again, it's the whole farming system. It's doing the right cultivation on the right day. So, But we're still a business that, you know, we grow potatoes as well. We're high flint content. So, you know, one year in that rotation, we're quite intensive cultivations with, you know, planting potatoes, destoning potatoes, harvesting potatoes. Those sort of crops can be incorporated in a rotation, but only so many times. Look at how can we reduce the cultivations there? How can we recover that land after potatoes really quickly? And our, um, yeah, our cover crops come in in there. Something else we're doing now is some of this and this real light land in the park especially is that we're then growing a one or two year legume mix within the rotation as well. So it's a two year cover crop essentially. You know, some of the new countryside stewardship options, you know, you can get them funded and we're the the field we're standing in here, we've got four hundred sheep at the other side of the field. So we're actually taking land out of harvestable crops for one to two years, growing a legume mix predominantly for the the benefit and the health of our soil, but you can get the countryside stewardship payment and you get a bit of a return on sheep. It certainly comes close to a yeah. you know a poor performing oil seed rape or something like that in the rotation and you know the real benefits which we're you know really trying to ascertain at the moment is on a rotational basis how is that helping the soil more yeah. than the actual physical money coming back in that one year yeah well it is it's just the long term absolutely look, isn't it yeah. you talked about obviously use of manures obviously a lot of growers are concerned about the restrictions on application which mm-hmm. come out and obviously the the age situation and the effectively wanting to move people away from auto application what, what are your thoughts on I was part of a eight-year project looking at this and mitigation of nutrients into watercourses. A multi-species cover crop, and especially with those brassicas in there, can hold all that nutrition. So established at the right time, August application of whatever organic manure it is, followed by a cover crop. The project I was involved with was measuring water from field drains going into um, a watercourse 24 hours a day for seven years. And statistically came out that a cover crop would hold that nutrition nutrition in the field only benefit the soil only benefit the watercourses anyway frustrations there that ply organic manures in front of all seed rape and grass but that a well-established multi-species cover crop was not included in in there especially the the liquid slurry and the liquid digestate has put real pressure on those guys to um have enough storage now to put that on in the spring so yeah maybe a, a little bit of short-sightedness there on understanding how a farming system works it's all about understanding the risks and the when and why we add crops in the rotation and the breaks that are required. Uh, probably uh, there's, there's, there's pluses and minuses and we talk about the green bridge and when we should destroy these cover crops. But, you know, we're, we're standing here and in a mild autumn, we've now just got the facelia coming out into flower here. So, you know, not so much the beneficials, but you can still see the odd hardy bumblebee floating about here at the moment. Yeah. I fully I fully agree on that sort of green aphid bridge going forward, but we're, we're starting to see a benefit as well. And not only the cover crops we've got in the autumn, but the floristic margins we've got around the perimeters of the field that we are measuring and monitoring beneficial insects in the spring as well, and they are starting to increase. So, you know, we've, we've grown 300 hectares of sugar beet this year, and we have not used an insecticide on them, but you could walk into those beet crops last May and June and quite easily find ladybird larvae and find um, you know lace wings and things like that so you know part of a work going forward again I think we need better monitoring and better understanding of nature-based solutions 
one of the travesties is that an insecticide application can be two pounds a hectare so it's just very easy to go for an insecticide application where we've got a real drive here and it's pushed right from the top with lord leicester that you know we haven't now used an insecticide for two years and we don't plan to use an insecticide going forward now either but we're looking at enhancing the environment so we don't have to use insecticides i think for us at bbi one of the things that we perhaps should be looking at is what cover crops actually are carrying the virus carrying the, yeah. the, the aphids because actually you destroying this six weeks in advance if there happens to be loads of ladybirds in in this mm. field yeah where are they going to go yeah. yeah so certainly when it comes to um spoil heaps and things yeah we, we definitely definitely need to destroy them but perhaps we do need to understand a little bit more about what's overwintered yeah, you have to I mean, we have been a little bit cautious about having too many brassicas because mm. you know brassicas and cover crops are host for aphids they don't host the virus but they've all yeah. host aphids but there's a little bit of ignorance in that because we're not quite sure no and we're just kind of somewhere on the side of caution find our way through it actually you might see as a positive definite scope that we can work closer with the you know the ecologists and the ecology world to have a better understanding of what we've got and as you say jez you know how do we manage our systems so that there's even more benefit for those beneficial insects and benefit to the the guys that we don't want in a crop so you sound like um yeah from the conversations here you're definitely the right man to um be taking things forward for bbio or helping us i believe you've just joined our stakeholder committee haven't you I have, yes, yes. So I, I've had my first meeting back in October, so very new and fresh into it. But yeah, really looking forward to the future. And EBRO has been an organisation that I have admired in what they do and their knowledge exchange probably over the last you know decade or more. And yeah, only too pleased to be a part of hopefully steering it, you know, which could be, again, quite a rocky ride over the next five or six years. So yeah, to be a part of that is yeah, a privilege. Yeah, and good. We're, we're pleased to have you on board. Thank you. Our thanks to James and team for hosting us at Holcomb Hall. And we look forward to rejoining him along with Dominic Swan of Catalyst Farming in the new year to hear more of the estate's soil management plans and data collection. On behalf of BBRO, we wish you a happy and healthy Christmas and new year. Thanks for listening.